Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast that keeps you informed on all things Loras College. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the wealth of information in the Loras Archives and the Loras College Center for Dubuque History. I'm Robert Waterbury, the Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and joining me today is Mike Gibson, the Director of the Loras College Center for Dubuque History. Mike, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. Thanks, Robert. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, kind of first thing we'll take a look at is is you before we get into the archives. But so, how long have you been here with at Loris College and specifically with the center? Well, I like to tell people that uh, the center has a lot of old things, including myself. <laughs> I've uh, my tenure at the center has been thirty seven years now, so I'm beginning to feel like an artifact myself. I think in many respects. Well, it just just means you uh, you know a thing or two about uh, Loris College and, and Dubuque, Dubuque County. So, and uh, and I will say, in my time here at Loris, I mean, in in what I do, there are multiple times where I will come across something where, what's the history of this? What's the story of this? Where's you know origins or just more information? And it doesn't doesn't matter who I talk to. Almost every person, the first thing they say is, "Well, have you talked to Mike Gibson?" So. The wealth of information you provide to this campus is is fantastic. And, and of course, then you're sitting uh, ahead of the center, which is another just invaluable resource here for, for Loris. So uh, can you provide an overview of the information that we can find at the Center for Dubuque History? Well, um, the center itself, I mean, uh, was actually created during the bicentennial year, um, in 1976 uh, when it was kind of chartered I guess and uh, so it precedes me by seven years I guess before I came on the scene and the whole purpose of the center has been to collect the uh, the material that we call the stuff of which history is made and that is the archival material that it collects as well as the Loras College archives of course we all know that uh, or we hope we especially the students know that uh, that Loras College is the oldest college in the state of Iowa, founded in 1839 with Bishop Loras coming here. Um, and the city of Dubuque is the oldest city, so we've got the old of the old right here, 1837, when the town of Dubuque was founded. So um, the purpose of the, of the archives is, like I said, to collect the material that... Uh, that documents the everyday life and activities of the citizens and the students and 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 others that uh, are are available, and uh, so it's not collecting things that are necessarily about the kings and queens and uh, presidents and things of this nature. But it's all of us. We're all history makers, and we make history every day in our everyday activities. So what we collect are things like. Uh, letters and diaries and and uh, documents like wedding licenses uh, um, playbills um, oral histories photographs um, and and now the concern is are we starting to archive um, uh, emails and um, uh, websites and things of that nature too so um, the Loris archives of course 
we, we do have a few materials that date back to the time that uh, Bishop Loris was here in founding the, the archdiocese itself. Um, and so we have a few letters of his, although the biggest collection of his personal letters and things resides at the um, Archdiocesan Archives with Dan Burns over there at the Archdiocesan Center. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's collecting these types of things um, that document ever, our everyday activities that's important to do, and that's what archivists do, and, and preserve the stuff of, like I said, the stuff of, I like to call it the stuff of which history's made. All right, well, with all that information, and I don't know, maybe we should make it clear in terms of uh, an archive. So archives, are, and you kind of listed it, it's documents, photographs, oral histories, published uh, publications, things like that. They're not really physical artifacts or uh, museum pieces, which people might th right. think. Uh, I think there's uh, somewhat of a confusion um, between artifacts and uh, archives material themselves. And so two- or three-dimensional objects are more in the realm of artifacts, and that's what museums uh, deal more in, whereas archival collections deal more in the, uh, the uh, paper-based products of things that are, are generated. Okay. So with that in mind, then, if, if you're looking at the Dolores Collection, part of the archives. You mentioned some documents, not much, but some documents from, from Bishop Loris, but what other part of the, the element, what other elements make up that Loris archives that, that people could really be, can, might even be surprised that are in there? Well, certainly lots of things are collected in the archives. Uh, publications, which the college has generated over the, over the years. Um, things like uh, playbills, concert build programs, uh, commencement programs. Um, we even have photographs, of course, obviously. Um, lots of sports information, um, information like um, some student records that, uh, that go back uh, beyond when uh, we had transcripts and things, uh, which are housed in the registrar's office, of course. Um, the uh, minutes of the Board of Regents, um, some financial records, um, some of these things are classified and are not available to the public, but nonetheless the archives does collect some of those types of things too, you know. So anything that deals with uh, um, all aspects of the college's operations and so forth okay. would and, be included. And that would include an old copies of the Lorian? Um, yes, the, the yearbooks, the yeah. Pergold yearbooks, the Lorians. The newspaper, the student newspaper, of course, um, those go back to the 1920s um, and then forward until um, the uh, Lorian is still being published, but the Pergold yearbook is, is ceased in 2015. Okay. Is there, with your, your knowledge of, the, of that collection, is there anything that really stand out to you as valuable in terms of the information or even nostalgic value not a monetary value but something that somebody would discover and like well that's really kind of a neat information to know or like I said a nostalgic feel to it that would be like well that's I'm really glad that we have that well I think in the terms of the Loris archives um, there's probably a, a little 
little less of that than there is in the Center for Dubuque History, Dubuque Area Archives material. Um, but I would think uh, some of the some of the few letters that we do have of Bishop Loris would be included in that category of being something that's really special. Um, I can think also we do have Bishop Loris's complete library of over 500 volumes there in our special collections area of the library, um, of which not is not under my uh, jurisdiction. But nonetheless, uh, that's quite a quite a collection to have. It, it allowed our library to be named uh, the oldest library in Iowa because of having his original library, Bishop Loris's original library, of nearly for 500 volumes, you know. So the Iowa Library Association uh, gave us the designation of being the, the oldest, the earliest um, library in the state of Iowa several years ago. Well, wow, that's really actually really interesting to know. Mm -hmm. um, so with all this, you know, this collection that the center has, it seems like there's been an increase, in, at least in recent years, and it may have been gone going beyond that, but of a effort to increase the amount of student activity within the within the archives or the center using it, whether it's curriculum, um, and trying to incorporate more research into what the students are doing. Certainly, certainly. I mean, um, one of the things that uh, a number of years ago people were a little bit critical of was the fact that uh, the um, center being located here on the campus uh, was serving uh, the non-student population or the non-faculty population, I guess, the, the citizens of the Dubuque community and outside of Dubuque as well. And of course, uh, in recent years, we've had the, um, the use of the, of the archives um, become more and more part of the curriculum. In the case of the history department, the education department, um, the communication department, uh, concerning the latter, uh, Craig Schaefer in communications, of course, has um, had several students over the years um, use the collections in the center for uh, doing, producing documentaries and things of that nature. The education department, we've had for many, many, many years um, education students at the elementary uh, level uh, in their methods class um, utilizing sources in the center um, to uh, be integrated into um, the third grade level classrooms in the schools in Dubuque. Um, and so they've, they've been in and used the collections, and then we bring in um, uh, a number of third grade classroom students to each year to the center, and they become the historians um, for the day and so forth. But, um, and then uh, in the history department, Kristen Anderson, Dr. Kristen Anderson Bricker has certainly been using the, uh, the center in recent years for a lot of her history courses. She's currently teaching a J-term now on the Third uh, Street Cemetery as the focus of the class, and they're in the center every day um, during this J-term, present J-term. So, you know, it's been really, really utilized by our faculty and staff. Um, of course, the Loris Archives is heavily used by yourself in, in, in marketing area, and uh, registrar's office and uh, um, admissions office and so forth uh, 
registrar's office, as I mentioned. Uh, so there's been a lot of use over the years by other areas on campus as well. But those, we're really integrating it into the, uh, you know, public history is the big thing now, I think, in, uh, in uh, colleges and universities. If an uh, individual does not want to teach history, there are lots of other opportunities that they can engage in to do some career exploration. And that's one of the other things that I think the center has really provided over the years. Uh, and it's been one of my proud, you know, more, most proud accomplishments, I think, is, is all the number of interns I've had. I've had over 50 interns in the years I've been here, and many of them have gone on to pursue careers in uh, various aspects of public history like archaeology or archival work or museum work, um, National Park Service uh, employees, uh, things of that nature. So um, that's been really rewarding to have the interns get some uh, practical experience. <laughs> so I see more students, and I've mentioned faculty and staff being able to use it, but um, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. It's not just a a Loris institution that for just Loris individuals to, to use it's it is it actually open to the public yes absolutely um, yeah mm -hmm. and, and that kind of opens up to the, the larger aspect of what the center is about now see so, you know it's in the name the Loris College Center for Dubuque history so the rest of that collection beyond Loris then looks at the city of Dubuque and then the surrounding area as well the community the county and kind of parts beyond that correct correct yes our collection purview and, and our outreach uh, goes uh, certainly is focused on the city of Dubuque, but also the county, the contiguous counties around Dubuque County, uh, even over into Illinois and Wisconsin, uh, Galena, of course, um, up to Platteville, I guess, in Wisconsin. Um, the Upper Mississippi Valley lead mining region is kind of the geographical uh, purview of the, of the collections itself, you know. And so we do have outreach, uh, you know, beyond the city itself. Okay, so that collection then, in addition to you know, what we have for Loris, it's, it's very similar in terms of obviously documents, uh, photographs, things like that. But there's some, I know there's at least a few things in there that, that you're especially proud to, you know, say that, that the center is uh, kind of holding those. Can you, can you share a little bit of, kind of those, those parts of the collection that you're especially proud of? Sure. Um, uh, I think uh, one of them would be the, um, and probably the earliest records that we actually have, uh, original records, I should say, uh, would be the Dubuque City Council minutes from the very first city council in 1837. And we have the original uh, holograph um, minutes. Um, from, from that first meetings um, and, and succeeding meetings as well. So in terms of really um, valuable primary municipal records, in the, these would be the earliest municipal records in this, what would become the state of Iowa. Of course, statehood wasn't achieved until 1846, and these 1837, so nine years earlier than, than statehood. Um, and they're really unique because um, 
you, you find that history does repeat itself, I guess, in some respects, because some of the concerns that citizens had in 1837 we're still talking about at the city council level here in 2020. Um, so, uh, you know, like tax relief and, and things of that nature, obviously there are things that were of concern to people then that are no longer of a concern, uh, like hogs running loose in the street or horse racing and betting being done on horse races in the streets. Um, so, um, they're, they're, they're very interesting and they are a really a prime uh, primary resource that uh, that uh, don't exist anywhere else they have been microfilmed but I mean they're uh, and they are available elsewhere but the originals being in the collection there um, and then I think um, you know people ask me all the time why do you do what you do um, I mean there's there's many reasons and having been in this business for 37 years now, I think um, um, I think it's important to uh, document, uh, uh, like I said early on, um, things in our everyday lives. But there are some things that come in that, as you mentioned, that might be really unique, and I mentioned the city council records, but a lady in California called me um, several years ago, and she said she had some books on Dubuque history, and I said, well, can you tell me the titles of those so she read me the titles on the telephone and and I said well I do have copies of those but I'd certainly welcome having additional copies um, as well and she said well I'll send those but I'm also going to send you something else and she said I was doing some home decorating in my house and I had the uh, home decorating people move out a a desk from the wall and out fell a couple leather bound volumes and she said I don't know what really what they are but they have a name on them and it says Dubuque Iowa and she said I'm just going to send those along with you as well uh, with the material that I'm going to send and so she did and lo and behold when the box arrived and I opened it I saw these two leather bound volumes and they said on the cover uh, had been written in in ink on the cover uh, Dr. Benjamin McClure and it said Dubuque, Iowa. And so I opened them up and I saw inside that these actually were records of uh, this doctor in Dubuque um, dating from 1869 to 1876. So you got seven years of records. And what they were were the records that he uh, made when he was present at the birth of nearly 100 people in these books. And so what's really unique about this is that uh, he recorded so much information in a short space of time. Uh, um, it's just amazing because not only did he have the names of the parents, their first names, he had, of course, the last name, the age of the mother. He had the um, uh, record of if this had been how many pregnancies and if the child had been born and stillborn or, or whatever. And, died in birth and so forth and and uh, then he also recorded what is really a, a great piece of social history he recorded the nativity of both parents so if the father was born in Ireland and the mother in New York then he recorded that information as well so we put all this information on a spreadsheet and then we went a little further and dug out um, 
uh, city directory information and looked up the names of these people in the city directories at the time and found addresses for the majority of the people there as well. And so um, what's really unique about this collection is that the state of Iowa did not require that there be um, births recorded, officially recorded with the state until 1880. So all of these records of these nearly 100 people might be the only extant records of these individuals' births. So I sent this spreadsheet to the LDS church people, and uh, hopefully they were going to put it up on their website so other people could find this information, people interested in genealogy and so forth. But I think that's pretty unique, and so that's the reason I collect what I collect, and the reason I'm in this profession right now is because you never know what kinds of information may just serendipitously uh, land in your lap, I guess. So yeah, it's fascinating, you know. and not even knowing where it's going to come from. So for something right. like that, it's, I, it's a and we still don't know. She still doesn't know the lady in California. Still doesn't know how she she was born in Dubuque and left when she's about age two or three, and so. Um, she doesn't know how she got the records unless her parents or grandparents from Dubuque somehow acquired them and then moved to California or something and wound up in her house and she just discovered them by mistake and accident and and they wound up back home where they belong and and are really a, a treasure trove of information you know so Oh, that's that's amazing. Um, so, in addition to the collection, I, I give you a chance to talk a little bit about um, two new books that were just published at the end of the year, at the end of uh, 2019, um, the City at Work books. So, those are based on photographs from the the collection from the Center for uh, Loris College Center for Dubuque History. Um, can you talk a little bit about what those books are, what those books entail? Yeah, we acquired um, a collection of. Um, glass plate negatives, um, which had been stored uh, for, well, almost 100 years, I guess. Um, we acquired these, and they, they'd been stored in the Clower Manufacturing plants. Uh, the building's still no longer there that they were stored in, but they had just uh, been stored there. And then we acquired the prints uh, of some of these um, several years ago. And then uh, the glass plate negatives followed as well. And so we did an exhibit in 2012 um, down at the Dubuque Museum of Art in which we featured about 40 of these images that we had received some grant funding from the State Historical Society and other, other organizations. And so we, um, we uh, cleaned and scanned the glass plates and cataloged them and properly stored them, and then uh, did this print exhibit of about 40 images down at the Dubuque Museum of Art. And then Tim Olson, who's also the the partner in in uh, these books and then in the Dubuque Museum of Art exhibit as well, he um, he went out and took. He has a camera, which is the same camera that these itinerant photographers used in Dubuque in 1912. Um, and so he went out and took similar pictures around the community uh, in 2012. 
So these two new books, uh, A City at Work, uh, Dubuque, 1912, and, and A City at Work, Dubuque, 2012, um, are just off, hot off the press, so to speak, and uh, they feature several of the uh, prints from the glass plates as well as um, the 1912 volume uh, contains essays, historical essays on some of the prints and so forth. Uh, what Dubuque was like in 1912, and then uh, they all have captions, and then a few of the featured uh, prints that we have in the book um, we did uh, additional research on and, and had uh, some essays written by different people and included in the book as well. So we're really glad to have that. That, that uh, fulfills one of the missions of the center itself, um, you know, is, is to, is to uh, um, produce books that are of local interest and, and assist people in doing so and doing research in local history and, and writing and then publishing books. So we've published several other books as well through the center and the Loras College Press over the years. So that's, uh, that's a good way to get information out and, and give various people opportunities to publish on local history. Sure, and, and as you alluded to, the, the City at Work books, both of them, 1912 and 2012, are mm -hmm. both uh, printed through Loras College Press. And where are those available? They're available at the Loras College Bookstore, Barnes & Noble Bookstore, and at, uh, currently at River Lights Books in downtown Dubuque. Okay. So, and looking back at the, the center, if there's anybody looking for more information uh, about Dubuque County, Dubuque history, or specifically about Loras, looking into the Loras archives, uh, how, do they, how do they get in touch with you or with the center to kind of field some questions and kind of do some of their research? Well, they can either use the old-fashioned method of telephones, or they can use uh, the more modern technique of emails, I suppose. Um, so they can reach me at uh, 563-588-7163 on the telephone, or email is michael.gibson at loris.edu. All right, so um, any anybody well, looking for just, more information can... Yeah, they can contact me there. I'd just like to, to leave our listeners with uh, a couple thoughts. Um, history itself, I guess, is a mystery, as I like to say, because uh, there's so, some things that will never be uh, answer, answered, um, questions that get raised that we just simply are never going to find an answer to. And I, I think that some things just are not meant to be answered. Um, we just have to accept them. You know, and the other thing is, is that um, there's a, a favorite quote of mine that uh, actually was was made by a, uh, a gentleman named John Sawhill, who is president of the Nature Conservancy. But I think this not only applies to conservation, but I think it applies to archives as well. And he says, in the end, our society will be defined not only by what we create, but by what we refuse to destroy. So I think that applies in, in our society as well, and I think it behooves everybody to think about preserving um, the stuff of which history's made and which archivists try to uh, 
acquire and uh, catalog and organize and physically preserve the material and then make it available to people for for reference and that's the function of the archivist okay. well mike gibson thank you so much for joining me today and uh sharing all the stories and information about the the center for dubuque history the loris college center for dubuque history so thanks again for joining me and and thank you to all who listened in on our discussion we hope you enjoyed the conversation and will join us for the next duhawk digest my pleasure thanks robert